Aren't you glad this morning that you can hold a Bible in your hand? That we get to open up. Let's make sure, as you guys do, that we bring it every week. And uh, let's always interact with the text and take some notes. We're in Matthew chapter 12 this morning. Matthew chapter 12. Jesus is in a long section of teaching here. And he's really challenging uh, kind of inconsistent uh, religiosity. He's, he's challenging uh, false religion, religion that doesn't have any heart behind it, religion that's uh, name only but doesn't have any meat to it. And he's particularly challenging uh, the group of people known as the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were the religious leaders who had a lot of knowledge. Uh, many of them had memorized the first five books of the Bible. They were astute spiritually in terms of their head. But their heart was far from the Lord. And they kind of were, were religious, but they weren't spiritual, if you know the difference between the two. They, they said the right things, they knew the right things, but they refused to humble themselves before God. They refused to repent, and they absolutely refused to recognize Jesus as Savior. So their words and actions proved that instead of really being spiritually minded, and instead of being soft before the Lord, they were actually evil. And they were so full of themselves and so, so uh, blinded in their sp- spiritual condition that um, they really had become spiritually cold and corrupt even as they ministered uh, religiously uh, every day and went to the temple and walked around in their robes and carried the scrolls and, and did all the, the, the machinations of being religious but, but there was nothing there. Their hearts were cold and, and, and they were really carnal in their thinking. So in chapter 12, four different times, Jesus has encounters with the Pharisees. And they're questioning him and challenging him and trying to trap him in some way so they can somehow disprove him and discredit him. But in each of the four circumstances, he turns the tables back on them and, and challenges them and calls out their carnality and their hypocrisy. And, and one of the ways that, that they did that most, one of the ways that the Pharisees were, were kind of most guilty in terms of coldness of their heart was that um, the way they misrepresented the truth. Now, this is all throughout the Gospels. You see it. And as they not only uh, misrepresented the truth, they also tried to stir other people up to believe lies and to reject Jesus and his work. And a large number of people bit. They, they, that gained traction with them, and, and, and they would challenge him. And, and Jesus not only confronts them in these verses that we're going to read in just a moment, but he also uses the opportunity here in verses 33 to 38 to, to teach a broader spiritual principle that's really, really important for us, but, but in many ways very difficult to hear. Because Christ is, is challenging uh, something that, we all struggle with. I don't think there's one person, I know there's not one person in this room, myself included and maybe primary, that, that doesn't wrestle with this. And, and it really has become, in many ways, um, epidemic, I think, in the church. I, I, would, I would suggest that over the last 50 years that, that this issue that we're going to see this morning may have done more damage uh, to relationships, to marriages, and especially to churches uh, than any debate over theology or how to use spiritual gifts or church government or, or anything else. Probably the only thing that has stirred up more 
uh, division is worship and, and how we worship and what a worship service looks like and what music's like. That's probably the primary issue that's caused strife in the church over the last 50 years. But I would, I would suggest to you that this is second. This is a serious issue, and, and what's most sad about it is that we're damaging ourselves. Instead of doing what the Lord has told us to do, which is to speak the truth in love and to, to edify one another and to, and to focus on taking the gospel to people that don't know about it and to do so with integrity, instead, in many ways, we turn on ourselves. So this is a very, very important spiritual passage for us. It's one we can't take lightly because Jesus in verses 33 to 38, Matthew chapter 12, has two primary purposes. One is to warn us about our own actions, and the other is to warn us about the actions of others. Okay? Let's read. Just six verses this morning. Matthew chapter 12, start in verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, speaking specifically to the Pharisees here, How can you, being evil, speak what's good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what's good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what's evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, We want to see a sign from you. I'll tell you why we read that last verse in a little bit. Now, there's no question that the overarching principle that Jesus is trying to communicate here is that every single word we speak is significant. Every single word we speak is significant, primarily because our words reveal our true spiritual character. Now, if you want to get a a main subject for the study this morning, it's that. Every word we speak is significant, and our words expose our true spiritual character. Now, that's a very sobering principle, because we know how easy it is to say the wrong thing. But yet, we can't really dismiss this or ignore it or say, well, yeah, he meant that, but it's not really a big deal. Because Jesus here in the text puts eternal implications on it. He says there's an eternal significance to the words that come out of your mouth. And then he points to the Pharisees and he basically says they're proving it. He he calls them out in front of the crowd that he's been teaching. And he says this is the living example of this. Now there's there's an implication in the text and I would say it's a strong implication. That there is nothing we do that reveals our true spiritual character more than what we say. Stop and let that sink in for a minute because it's a hard sentence. Jesus is implying here that there's nothing we do more that reveals our true spiritual character than our words. And that leads us into the first truth this morning. We're going to have three main truths this morning. But the first one is that our words will always reveal the spiritual state of our heart. Our words will always reveal the spiritual state of our heart. Jesus says here, if you look back at the text, that our words are like a spiritual EKG. They, they reveal whether our heart is healthy or whether our heart has defects and, and abnormal, abnormalities. So if our heart is fatally sick, 
A heart is fatally sick when we haven't trusted in the Lord, when we're still under the bondage of sin. So if a heart is fatally sick, or if there's a spiritual mutation, in other words, we're, we're still living in sin, sin still has a major component of our life, that, that if we're spiritually fatally sick, or we're spiritually mutated, that we won't be able to hide it. It will show, and it will be obvious, and people will see it far more than we want to admit. So if you look back at verse 33, Jesus sets up the principle, and he says that a tree is known by its fruit. What's visible is what reveals its true nature. Now that applies in a couple different ways. First is, it reveals the type of the tree. We've heard this principle before. An apple tree produces what? And a pear tree produces... And an orange tree produces oranges. One type of tree is unable to produce a different kind of fruit because it has a biological DNA. So a banana tree or a banana plant, I probably shouldn't use banana because I'm not sure if it's tree or plant, doesn't matter, right? Whatever produces bananas can't produce grapefruit. You'll never see a kumquat on a lemon tree. Right? Because there's, there's nothing in the DNA of the tree that would produce that. Now, Jesus says, spiritually, the same thing is true. If our spiritual DNA, if our nature has been changed and replaced from the old to the new, from death to life, and we've been sanctified, hear it now, then we will only be producing that kind of fruit. It has to be present, which means that if the fruit is absent, or it's rare, then we seriously have to analyze what it says about us. Because you know a tree by its fruit. And then he says, not only do you know it by its type of fruit, but the second issue is also important. The health of the tree is shown by how much fruit it produces and whether the fruit is ripe and delicious and abundant. So you know the spiritual character of the tree uh, by, by the type of fruit it produces, and then you know how healthy the tree is by how much fruit it produces. In other words, if there's just a couple pieces scattered here and there, if it, if it just kind of looks like the fruit isn't really very good to eat, and you kind of go, well, I'd like an apple, but that one's just kind of all, all problematic, and it's just got worms in it and everything. If, if you look at that, you know that the tree isn't healthy. It's not growing properly. It's not yielding the fruit it should. But what does it tell us? It tells us that if we're spiritual, if we really know and serve the Lord, we'll not only produce spiritual fruit, but that spiritual fruit will be abundant. In other words, it's not just, well, I prayed a prayer, and I made a decision, and I know I'm going to heaven, and God's forgiven me, and it's wonderful, praise the Lord, and it's so good. No, it really goes beyond that, because we're supposed to be, look at verse 33, we're supposed to be known by our fruit. And the fruit should be abundant, and the fruit should be healthy. There should be no question to anybody that sees us, that person loves Jesus Christ. The way they act, the way they talk, the way they minister, the way they interact with people, the, the, the whole demeanor that they had, everything about it says something different. And it's abundant. I can't get away from it. They actually kind of annoy me because they're always talking about the Lord. They're always living for the Lord. They're making decisions that are difficult, that don't go along with the crowd. But, but that's because of their relationship with Him, because He's the vine and we're the branches. 
A branch that's cut off of the vine, a, van, a branch that's not attached to the vine, John chapter 14, dies off. It has to be pruned. So he says, you're known. Your words reveal the spiritual state. Now go back to verse 34. Because Jesus says, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. And then in verse 35, he defines it as treasure that's good or evil. In other words, this is not just uh, some kind of a minor issue or, or, you know, there are words that are a little abnormalities, but, but it's not really. He says that our words, using his word now, our words show whether we're full of the Spirit and full of holiness or whether we're full of self and full of sin. Because when we're full of the Spirit, our words will consistently be holy. Our words will consistently be truthful and loving and edifying and seasoned with grace. And our words will bring praise and glory to our Lord. But when we're not full of the Spirit, when we're full of self and we're full of sin, what happens? Our words are self-righteous and deceptive and critical and destructive and vindictive. And they bring attention to us. This is not just about profanity. It's not just about uh, a crassness. It also applies to how we talk to each other and how we talk about each other. Are you critical? Are you, are you a gossip? Are you, are you uh, constantly talking about people, constantly making judgments, evaluating people, coming across as harsh? That, that's part of this. That's part of verses 33, 34, and 35. And the reason why it's so important is because we can easily be blinded to what's wrong and we, and we start to justify ourselves and we'll say, well, you don't, you don't know the situation. So, so Jesus is challenging on us on this. He says it's an issue of what fills our hearts. Philippians 4.8 says our hearts should only be filled with what's true and what's honorable and what's right and pure and lovely and of good reputation and excellent and worthy of praise to God. Examine every word you say today according to that list. Because if it doesn't meet that standard, then it's not of the Lord. Now, unfortunately, we live in a really weird culture right now. Anybody can say anything, anybody can do anything, and everybody does because they want to be known. We, we live in the, I, I like this, we live in the Kanye generation, right? Everybody know what I'm talking about? We live in the Donald Trump generation. Say what you think, don't care what anybody else says, be, be just crude and crass and, and, and just cynical and just let your mouth spout, put it on Twitter, put it on Facebook, put it on whatever vehicle we're using these days. I don't even know. But just let it all fly. Now we can ignore that, and we do, but the Bible says here in verse 35 that we have to examine ourselves. What kind of fruit are we producing? What's coming out of our mouths? And if we don't think that's really a big deal and Paul, you're making too much of it, well then look at what Jesus says next in verse 36, because if that didn't wake us up, this will. Here's the second truth. We're accountable for every word that we speak. We're accountable for every word that we speak, especially the careless ones. There is a record being kept in heaven this morning of what's coming out of our mouths. And we will have to answer to the Lord for every word. 
And Jesus makes a special point of saying that the careless ones are the ones that will really get his attention. Now, the word careless there is the word idle in the King James, and I actually like that word a little bit better, but both of them are really helpful because they explain the original meaning of the word. The original meaning is careless, inactive, and unprofitable. So Jesus is saying, I'm watching your words, I'm keeping a record of your words, especially the ones that are careless, inactive, and unprofitable. In other words, the ones that aren't working. Now, that's an important distinction, because when someone is being careless with their words, they're actually not doing the work that we're called to do as believers. When I'm, when I'm not thinking about what I'm saying, when I'm being critical or judgmental, or, or I'm uh, coming across in a way that is not pleasing to the Lord, I'm not only operating in the negative in terms of what I'm saying, but I'm also not operating in the positive. Because what does the Bible tell us to do? Go out and make disciples and tell other people the gospel. It tells us to build each other up. It tells us to disciple each other. It tells us to speak the truth in love. So so if I'm speaking the wrong thing, I'm not only doing that and harming myself and my character and my reputation in the gospel, but I'm also not using my time and my words to do what God's called me to do, which is to tell other people about Jesus and strengthen them spiritually. And then look at the second implication of it. He says, you're going to be idle. You watch these idle and careless words because you're going to be accountable for them. Now, I I got stuck on the concept of idling earlier in the week because I I thought, well, when a car idles, you know, it's not actually doing anything. And I looked up the meaning of the word idle in the dictionary, and it means to run disconnected so power is not used for useful work. Let me say that again because it was a lot. It's to run disconnected so that power is not used for useful work. Now, you say, who cares? But what what does that matter? Well, it matters because it highlights why people become careless with how they speak. And this is what we really need to to self-assess. When someone's disconnected from the power of the Lord, and they're not abiding in His presence, and they're not yielding to His Spirit, and they're not studying His Word, and they're not dependent on His strength, and they're not living diligently for the Lord... They'll idle spiritually. If you're not moving forward, this is obvious. If you're not moving forward, what's happening? You're either staying in place or you're moving backward. And he says here, that's when the tongue becomes very dangerous. It's not as dangerous for somebody who's really walking with the Lord and seeking the Lord and studying His Word and and living by His Word and, and ministering to people and sharing the gospel We're not going to struggle as much when we're doing that with how we speak. But when you start to fall back and you start to idle, that's when things become very dangerous. And sadly, I've seen it hundreds of times. People who neglect their walk and they become worldly and they kind of become blind to the the situation. And instead of listening to counsel and repenting, what happens? They go in the opposite direction. They become critical and, and condescending and carnal. Not only is there no growth, but there's a spiritual regression. And Jesus says, look back at verse 34, that when that happens, that whatever's filling the heart, and in this case it's not anything that's pleasing to God, what's filling the heart now will come out of the mouth. 
That's why David says in Psalm 51, search me and know me and see if there's any wicked way in me and, and get rid of it. And then he follows it up in Psalm 141 and he says, set a guard over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. Oh, I need to pray that every single morning. God, set a guard over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. Think about the, the image of that, that our lips are like the gates of the city. And when the gates of the city are open, what happens? Anybody can come in and invade. Lord, set a guard. Put a watch over me. Don't let me say words today that are going to be critical, that are going to be judgmental, that are going to be a disgrace to you. Guard my heart and guard my mouth because if I don't do that, I'm going to start idling. And when you're idling, you don't go forward. You start to go in reverse. I miss the days of manual transmission. You remember, how many drove a manual transmission car? You have to be over like 30, right? Unless you're just a car enthusiast. You remember how hard it is to put a car into reverse with a manual transmission? I, I, I can kill a clutch with the best of them, okay? I'd mash down on that clutch, and I'd be like, and the car's going. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? Okay? Nod and tell me that you're still awake, right? So you're mashing down on the clutch, and you're like this, and finally you get it back into reverse. That's what our spiritual life should be like. It's so easy now, right? You drive a car, reverse, drive, reverse, drive. If you do it while you're driving, you really mess up the transmission, so don't do that. But, but when you're in neutral, right, it's just as easy to go into reverse as it is to go into drive. I think that's a metaphor spiritually. It should be hard for us to go into reverse. It should be an effort. It should get our attention. Hey, I'm slipping back spiritually, and I don't want to do that. But what happens? It's, it's all become easier now. If you're living in neutral, you're living lukewarm, you're idling, and you're just slipping into reverse. I'll just go back for a while and just kind of live my old life and, and just and see what happens. How can we recognize when this is going on? Well, part of it is what comes out of our mouth. And look back at the text because Jesus says, these are careless words. How do we recognize when our words are careless? Let me give you a couple thoughts here. Write these down maybe. How do you recognize idle talk? Not only in yourself, but in others. First of all, one way that idle talk shows itself is it almost always looks backwards. Gossip and criticism and judgment don't have a basis in the future because the future hasn't been lived yet. So gossip and criticism and judgment always look to rehash the past or rewrite the past. The goal of those things is to remind someone else of their failure instead of extending forgiveness. And it's not hard to figure out which one's more pleasing to the Lord. Does the Lord want us to constantly tell other people how much they've failed? Or does the Lord constantly want us to be forgiving people? And, and the answer to that is very obvious. Because Jesus says, when I save you, I keep no record of your sins. And yet, how often do we go around? Well, those so-and-so did that to me. And they said that to me a couple years ago. And did you hear what they said? Do you know what they've been doing? Do you know constantly kind of berating and tearing down somebody else because idle talk looks backwards. It doesn't look forwards. Second, another indicator is that idle talk has a goal of dividing and destroying. It's, it's talk that, that corrupts the character, not only of the one who says it, but it does a lot of damage to those who hear it. 
And this has a lot of tentacles to it. It it damages the work of the gospel. It damages personal reputation and and relationships and, and church unity and a lot of other things, which is why the devil loves it. Of course the devil's going to push that because he's a liar and an accuser. So what would be a better tool for him than to get us to talk in the same way that he does and, and to damage marriages and to damage friendships and to damage the work of the ministry? James calls the tongue a fire, not mortar. Fire destroys, mortar builds up. So, so the Bible says the tongue is a fire. It's a world of iniquity. In other words, it's going to do all kinds of damage if it doesn't get bridled. Do you remember the story in Nehemiah when Nehemiah goes back to the city? He goes back to Jerusalem and he wants to rebuild the wall. And he kind of sees the wall at night and, and kind of takes stock. And he's just so uh, d- depressed because the city's been destroyed. And he's miserable. And he gathers a couple of people and says, we're going to rebuild this wall. And the text says in chapter 2 that as soon as Nehemiah's plans were known, here come two guys, Tobias and Sanballat. Great names, right? We almost named Jacob Sanballat. It was this close. Tobias and Sanballat. And you know what Tobias's and Sanballat's job is? What, what their whole goal is throughout the whole book of Nehemiah is to undermine Nehemiah. Well, you've got the wrong motives and you're going to set yourself up as king and, and, and you're trying to overtake everything and look at you, you think you're so big and you think you're so awesome and you're going to fail and that wall, of a, if a frog jumps up and down on it, it's going to collapse. Nehemiah, Nehemiah, they're, they're always trying to go after him and they try to get others to be involved to intimidate them. When you hear careless words, when you hear idle words, especially about another believer or another church, Ask yourself, what's the person's intent? Why are they trying to create doubt about another believer's character or integrity? Is there anything holy about that? Because there isn't. Example after example throughout Scripture. They say, well, Jesus was pretty critical, and he called the Pharisees whitewashed sepulchers, and, and he said that they were evil. Yes, but Jesus was challenging people who were openly and selfishly Uh, denying the Lord and defying what God says. And by the way, Jesus was completely holy. He has a right to do that. We don't. We're not holy. We have to evaluate in our words and in the words of others, is this bringing God glory? And you remember, even the people that Jesus came down on and criticized, he also prayed for them and asked the Father to show mercy on them. So idle talk quickly. i got to hurry. Idle talk always goes backwards. Idle talk divides and destroys. Third, idle talk has unholy qualities. Oh, it's couched nicely, and it seems right, and it's very subtle in terms of how it's presented. But at its core, there are always qualities like sin and lies and distortions and, and bias and opinion and deflection away from self. And those are not qualities of holy living. Those qualities, those characteristics have the scent of hell. And remember, this is not just about what other people are saying. This is a time where we have to evaluate ourselves. So let's get some practical application before we look at the last thought. What do we do if this happens around us? 
What do we do? Let's, let's deflect it to our situations. What do we do if somebody is talking in this kind of way, tearing down, destroying, looking backwards, criticizing, being unholy? How do we deal with it? Well, there are five words that start with C, and I really believe the Lord gave us this. Five words to help us deal with the danger and hopefully diffuse it. Number one, quickly, consider the source and their motive. Consider the source and their motive. Are they walking with the Lord? Are they acting out of hurt and pain? Or are they acting out of selfishness and a desire to do damage? So prayerfully consider the source and their motive. Second, confirm what's being said. There's nothing more damaging than secondhand information. Well, I heard somebody said that. Well, you don't know if they said it, right? You just heard from somebody else who may have their own bias. So if you hear something critical... Go there and get the context and find out if that was actually what was said because then you can go to the last three steps. The third step is confront it. Confront it. Now that requires courage, but it's better to deal with it when it happens than to let it fester and do more harm. As we've said many times, if somebody comes up and is critical to you about somebody else, say, stop right there. Shh, don't say another word. I don't want to hear it. You go right now to that person, and you talk to them about it, because that's what the Bible tells us to do. And if they say, well, I don't really want to do that, no, no, that then you say, I'll go with you. There is so much damage that's done by talk, 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 and you say, have you gone to the person? No. Why? I don't know. The Bible says if you got a problem with a person, even during worship, leave worship and go deal with it. Don't let it sit and fester, and certainly don't talk to somebody else about it, because that's just going to make it worse. So go with them. If the person comes to you, say, no, stop right there. Let's go. I'll go with you, and I'm going to mediate forgiveness. If you're wrong, you're going to apologize. If they're wrong, they're going to apologize. And I'm going to stand there in the middle. I have no bias in this. I'm just going to mediate this so there's repentance and forgiveness and restoration because we can't have this mess. Number four, correct things back to the truth. Challenge misperceptions. Go after lies. Make sure everybody understands what's true because when it's true, it honors the Lord. So consider, confirm, confront, correct. Number five, contain the situation. This is an important one. Once it's dealt with, then make sure it doesn't spread because idle talk spreads like a wildfire. Limit who finds out about this interpersonal issue that you just helped mediate because it's not their business. We're all nosy, right? Well, what happened? What did they say? And, and how did they? No, it's none of your business. There's a problem between two people and a third people mediates. Leave it there because that's how we get in trouble. Now, those are some ways that we can kind of put the quietus on the idle talk before it does its damage. And remember, we've got to assess ourselves too. We've got to evaluate ourselves whether we're actually doing this. Last thought. Look at verse 37 and we'll pray. God will use our words, third truth, God will use our words to evaluate us at his judgment. We're all going to stand before the Lord. Whether we like it or not, we're going to stand before the Lord. Saved, unsaved, doesn't matter. We're all going to stand before the Lord. And the Bible says each of us is going to have to give an account of our lives. Who and what we trusted, how we lived, what, what fruit we bore. And here it says in verse 37... 
what we said. The word there means that we have to give an answer to the one who not only knows everything, but he knows the intent and thoughts of our hearts when we said it. Nothing is hidden from him. Now you see, well, the Bible says in Romans 8.1, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who love Christ, and, and I'm good, and God's not going to hold me accountable for it because I said it. Well, Jesus says right here, you can be forgiven, but you still have to take responsibility. There's still going to be a responsibility. I'll be able to stand before the Lord, praise his holy name, and say, Jesus Christ saved me. I trusted in him by your grace, and you told me I'm forgiven. And God will say, absolutely, that's the truth. I'm anxious to welcome you into heaven. But let's talk about how you lived. Because you have to take responsibility. We have to, we have to examine what you did, especially after you got saved. And how many know that the Lord is going to be particularly impressed with my stories or my rationale for all those idle words? Oh, well, that, of course, you had a right to talk that way and to be displeasing to me because of that situation. This is why the Bible says, be sober-minded and be quick to hear and tell me the last part of the phrase, slow to speak. Oh, I need that verse so much more. The whole fasting thing last week that we talked about last Sunday, I had my own personal issues that I was wrestling with, and one of them was, I've got to stop raising my voice. I did okay. I didn't do great. I've got to stop getting so uptight about little things and, and, and just kind of speaking off the cuff. Of, Come on, let's go and do this, and, and getting frustrated with my kids when they're not getting out the door on time, or whatever the case may be. You guys know these struggles. Swift to hear. Come on, now listen. Swift to hear and slow to speak. Now why is that important? Why do we care? Why, why does God care about us being slow to speak? Because when you look back at the text one more time, he says there's a lot hanging in the balance here. From my evaluation to your witness to your reputation, to the effect that it has on other people, and the effect that it has on the body of Christ. Shouldn't this command be vitally important to us, that instead of running off of the mouth and saying whatever we think, and speaking out of our bias and out of our anger, that we should be very, very, very slow with our words. Because our words, according to verse 34, reveal what fills our heart. So what's filling your heart this morning? What's coming out of your mouth? How can those of us who say we've been saved by the death and resurrection of Christ and cleansed by His blood and filled with His Spirit, how could we possibly still be people out of whom filth is coming out of our mouths and how we're critical and judgmental and divisive? Because Ephesians says, let no no, no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. In other words, there's no defense, there's no exception. Let nothing corrupt come out of your mouth. Because if your heart is filled with the Spirit, that's what will come out. But if your heart's not filled with the Spirit, other things are going to come out. Now I know that's convicting, and believe me, it was hard to study and hard to prepare because I've been convicted myself. But I want to I give us some time to respond to this this morning. It's still not time to go yet. So let's close our eyes. Annie, would you come up? And, and Band, would you come up? And Annie, would you just start playing Holy Spirit, please?
Now, I know, I know we're ready to go, but we need to give the Spirit some time to work on our lives right now. So let's be really, really honest with ourselves. Let's be really honest with the Lord because we need the Spirit to do a work of conviction. Every one of us struggles with this. Every one of us will wrestle with this this week. When the Pharisees were confronted, they changed the subject. Jesus called them out, said they were evil, told them they were going to keep have an accounting of their words, and they changed the subject and said, we need another sign. So hopefully nobody in this room is where they were, but, but we can't change the subject at this point. This is something God is challenging us on. And the enemy wants to lie to us, and he wants to tell us this is no big deal, and Jesus was just kidding, and, and it really isn't that important. But he's a liar. He's an accuser. And here's the amazing thing. Here's what's so wonderful about this time of being honest with the Lord, is God is so gracious, and he's so merciful, and he is willing to forgive, and he is willing and able to change us. So if we ask him to do that with a sincere and repentant heart, that's exactly what he's going to do. If we say, Lord, guard my mouth, set a sentinel on my lips. I, I don't want the doors to be open and for garbage to be spewing out. I want to be holy in the way I speak. I want that to reveal what's in my heart. If we ask God to cleanse us and control us, that is exactly, exactly what he'll do. So I want to encourage you this morning. If idle words are a struggle for you, and the Holy Spirit's really spoken to you this morning, and you're, you're convicted, I mean, people don't need to know what it's about, but, but this is for you this morning. Prayer band members, leaders, would you come up, please? Because you're going to be praying with them. It really doesn't matter to me. But you're saying, Lord, this is a struggle. And I want to I admit that this morning. I, I have to own up to this because my words are not right. Maybe it's anger, judgmentalism. Maybe it's profanity. Maybe it's gossip criticism. Listen, nobody needs to know that we've all got our issues. But you're just going to say, Lord, just right now, if that's you, if the Holy Spirit's really convicting you, is something we've got to confess to the Lord. We've got to admit to the Lord, Lord, I need help. Holy Spirit, we need you to fill us. Holy Spirit, we need you to change us. Holy Spirit, we need you to put a guard on our mouth. So Lord, we're going to pray to you this morning and we're going to sing to you that you're welcome here that we want you to transform us and shape us into who you died to make us be.